Well, Craig, um, first of all, there's really nothing medium about it. This is this is a visual big uh, for the podcasting world. It's a visual big for the channel world. And it's it's a visual big in really the history of our, our dynamic duo. It's, wow. it's great. Very exciting. Wow. Uh, I don't know about the whole world, but uh, the last part you at least probably got right. Um, so, it's certainly. pretty exciting. Yes, I have to say, even though. Pretty much everyone else has been doing this for years. Yeah, you know, like you go on LinkedIn, all those cool kids are using it. They got their auto playing videos. You can like, but you can like see like a snapshot of their conversations. And it just seems like they're having like a pretty good time. Um, I mean, my concern, Craig, um, what if the people don't want to look at us? I mean, if they have a uh, like a visual um, like uh what's the word when when you look at something and it makes you sick if they have that can they still get through the podcast the old-fashioned way is that like looking at like strobe lights or something like that is that what you're talking about yeah well it could be that they could just like become ill they could just i don't know it just could be off-putting <laughs> all right bite your tongue my friend who wouldn't want to feast their eyes on this and that right But yes, as we like to say at the end of every podcast, you can get this anywhere you get your podcasts. Only now on some visual mediums as well. James, what what are you doing? I'm uh, this is at the end of the podcast. You put on one of your songs and I try to really get into it. Um, you always pull up a like a song to match like the song from the year that corresponds with the number of the podcast. And it's like, it's just, it's just part of our process, but people don't know that I'm, you know, I'm usually very physically into the process. People usually can't see me doing this. Um, so yeah, Craig, I was expecting, uh, a song from 2017 since this is episode 117 of the podcast, you know, I mean, that was, that was kind of the tradition, right? What's, what's the deal? Yeah, yeah, James. So unfortunately, we're going to have to abandon that practice, right? Those uh, web platforms out there that host video tend to be a little prickly when it comes to copyrights. And uh, we don't want to get one of our podcasts blocked, uh, not necessarily because anybody would miss us, but, you know, selfishly to just be more work for me going through and trying to re-edit the whole thing without the music. Uh, so we're just going to have to do a little air guitar, you know, maybe some uh, death strumming. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I'm a notorious uh, desk drummer. I'm the sort of person you always have to ask to stop drumming on tables. It's a real problem. So it's good of you to enable me here. Yeah. So I just want to assure you 
and our listeners who love that Craig and James theme song. I think it's called like Summer Fun or something. Got yeah. the xylophone. Yeah. You groove into it, right? Yeah. It's a royalty-free stock music. Uh, so that, my friend, is not going anywhere, fortunately. Yeah, those big tech overlords, they can take our freedom, but they can never take away our royalty-free stock music. Let, let me assure you. Did you just sort of quote Braveheart? I'm not sure where you went. Yeah, you know, I put my spin on it, you know. I, um, so, Craig, I'd uh, love to know, how were your holidays? Uh, I know we kind of uh, didn't wait too long to do another podcast so that I had to, you know, be asking you how President's Day weekend went. We, we got we got the next one done a lot faster, so that's good. But um, um, how's it going? How was New Year's and the and like? Yeah, it was uh, great. I went up to spend the holidays with my parents in Washington, which is uh, your new home state. Uh, in fact, uh, we're in the process of moving them down here to Arizona. And for anyone who has been through that process, you know, it's uh, kind of a big deal. Put their stuff in about uh, 40 boxes. We took a bunch of loads to Goodwill. Uh, in fact, we're going to head back up there again pretty soon to complete phase two. But uh, we're Pretty excited. Well, well, wait. Well, Craig, well, before you go any further, I think we've got to cue it. We got to cue. We got to cue the transition into a personal deep dive. I always hold my hands like this when I do personal deep dive. Personal deep dive. Yeah, yeah. Well done there. I was just going to say uh, we're excited for them to be closer to us after we move from that area. Oh, about 16 years ago, but uh, I don't really remember what the rest of the stuff I was going to say because I was so distracted by your visual, <laughs> your visual deep dive. Yeah, the but voice, well the voice yeah. is a is a physical muscle, you know, so you have to be physical alongside it. I thought um, you always use some sort of technology to like, you know, a voice alter when you did that, but uh, <laughs> I, can, I can see that's not the case. So. Turning it back to you, my friend, uh, how were your holidays? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd recap it in two different themes. Um, one is I am moving into an apartment. Um, you know, by the time this podcast starts, I'll have I'll have done it. I'll have moved into it. Um, uh, living on my own uh, in, in, the, in, a, in a city, in the city of Tacoma, and um, just sort of trying to make my mark on this world. Uh uh concurrently i've addict uh, i've developed a new show addiction i'm watching survivor um like i didn't watch a lot of i, I uh, should do this welcome to 2002 you know me craig i'm about 20 years behind on on everything i found lost a few years ago you know i just i didn't watch like broadcast tv um back in the day so but i'm i'm just enthralled by it. i want to i want to like watch all the way from the beginning to the end but i'm also i i find the the theme of survivor fitting into the theme of me getting an apartment and like like wanting to buy lots of rice and like maybe maybe i'll buy like coconuts and like put the rice in the coconuts like they do in survivor and you know obviously like it's only me so i can't vote anybody off the apartment but you know we'll see how uh those dialogues develop well spoiler alert for you every episode of every show for the next 22 seasons uh is exactly the same that uh, I've never heard a more comforting word, Craig. <laughs> that way, if you miss one or two, you'll you'll know you haven't really missed anything. <laughs> All right, so uh, James, let's spend a, a minute or two here talking about 
one of my favorite topics and one that uh, we pretty much talk about in every episode, but it's the Channel Partners Conference and Expo. Now, we're still nearly four months out. It's May 1st through the 4th at the Venetian Las Vegas, but uh, we had a pretty big announcement go out uh, right before the holidays that I, I think uh, possibly some of our audience might have missed. I want to make sure they don't. Our, our big keynote speaker this spring, retired astronaut, Captain Scott Kelly. Yeah, that's right. As this event continues to grow, we've been able to attract more big time talent to our stage, not just you and me, my friend, and not only in the form of tech and channel industry speakers, but also motivational and inspirational type presenters. I think most people are probably pretty familiar with uh, Scott Kelly's record setting time in space. I get a chance to speak with him to preview his keynote. That was exciting. And, and what do you know, James? We have a clip. I've always wanted to say that. Producers, roll that clip. Well, we have producers? What did that, when did that happen? When did we get producers? No, no, we really don't. I just thought it probably made our podcast sound more important. I mean, it's fine if we do, but the the what we know is that if we have producers, we're legally required to have to do a musical number. Let, let's roll the clip. I talk about lessons, lessons of leadership and... Uh... You know, how, uh, you know, just skills I learned to get me from, you know, a young kid uh, growing up in New Jersey with very little um, motivation to, uh, you know, to engage in school all the way to, you know, having these extraordinary experiences of flying in space four times. So, you know, I think it's lessons that um, people in different kinds of businesses could use as well. Um, certainly these are lessons that I, for myself, I didn't just use while I was in space, but also working complicated problems and, uh, you know, on the ground, managing and leading people, uh, being a good teammate. Um, yeah, so I think you're hopefully, and I'm, I'm pretty sure your attendees will will find this very, very valuable. Craig, um, I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited for this show. I'm pretty excited to hear uh, Captain Kelly and um, I don't know. Just hoping that hoping he he still got a little bit of that move that space atmosphere on him that that um will kind of rub off on us, you know. You know, it was perfect the way you did that with your hands because you had him back here enough to where you kind of looked a little bit like an alien because <laughs> it was it was absorbing into your background. So it was a perfect uh, perfect fit for the space thing. Yeah. Well, I've been accused of being an alien multiple times in my life, so uh, it fits. All right, so we're going to put a link to that uh, full interview with Captain Kelly, uh, as well as a written Q&A we did with him in the landing page of this podcast. Okay, so James, we're going to spend a little time now, uh, or in each podcast this year, talking about a, a new story of particular interest that caught our eye the week prior. And we'll do that after our big interview, which incidentally is perhaps the biggest news story of the past week, or, or at least one of them. Uh, why don't you set this up for us? Yeah, Craig. Well, folks, you ever heard of Big Frank? Well, I bet you have. Um, if you haven't, it's just because you haven't heard that nickname before. I don't know if he went by that nickname before, um, but Frank Roush, we, I feel like in the last week, we have definitely settled on Frank Roush's nickname as Big Frank. He has become Big Frank to me. Um, so in all seriousness, uh, Frank Roush is one of the sort of Hall of Famers in the channel someone who has led partner programs at some of the, the largest vendors out there, particularly in the IT world. You got VMware, 
uh, most recently Checkpoint uh, Software Technologies. And this, uh, well, uh, the week of our interview, he ended up taking a new job with Cato Networks, the burgeoning Secure Access Service Edge SASE provider um, to uh, really take their partner program and, and help take Cato to the next level. All right. It was a good interview. Uh, let's go ahead and roll that interview with Frank Rash. Let's do it. All right, friends. We're very happy to welcome our first ever guest in the video format. That is Frank Rausch, uh, recently, uh, very freshly appointed as the Global Channel Chief at Cato Networks. Uh, Frank, uh, you know, w welcome to the podcast. James, Craig, I could not be happier to be on your maiden voyage here. Hopefully, hopefully we have a good one. And hopefully everybody that comes behind me has a better one. We'll give it a we'll give it a shot for sure. I know you will. All right, so uh, let's start off. Uh, just you know, give us the basics. A little bit about your decision to move to Cato Networks. You know, obviously, <laughs> uh, folks in our audience know you from some big names, including VMware, HP, and of course, most recently, <laughs> Checkpoint. Uh, what about Cato? Was it that uh, made you want to add that name to your list? Yeah. Um... So it, it was a number of different things. When when you look at my career, I mean, most people say, hey, you're a channel guy. I didn't start out that way. I started out as a direct guy, ran a big direct uh, field sales force, ran strategy and planning at one point. Then I, moved in, then I moved into the channel and I learned a lot about the channel. And, it, you know, it, it hasn't gotten simpler. It certainly got even more complex. So as you, you know, as you start to get exposed to, um, you know, certainly an HPE, uh, VMware, transition, transition, checkpoint, great opportunity to be able to work for a great company, to be able to get an introduction in, into security. Although VMware acquired Carbon Black, really fell in love with the industry, really fell in love with this sector. But I realized, that, you know, I realized that I wanted to have an opportunity to be able to make even a bigger difference. And Cato, uh, certainly I knew some of the guys from Imperva, Encapsula, et cetera. And when the opportunity became available, it's just a really, really unique opportunity. It's a unique opportunity from a technology standpoint, from a channel transition, transformation, growth standpoint, and to be able to take a company that isn't relatively new, it's been around since 2015, isn't really that small. It's got a great ARR right now and a great structure, great funding, uh, certainly senior executives. And to be with a bunch of guys that, have, you know, with Shlomo, that has taken uh, Checkpoint Public, that has taken Imperva Public, et cetera, with Gur, um, with Alon Alter, et cetera. People that really, I like the way they think. I like the way they lead. I love the direction of the company. So I wanted to be part of it. I wanted to be part of something that, you know, I, I wouldn't call building a legacy, but something more unique than what I've done before. Yeah, I mean, perhaps not necessarily at, at the sort of new kids on the block point, as you said, starting in 2016, but but certainly seems to be the cool kids on the block um, um, from kind of how I'm viewing it. Um, mm -hmm. 
Now, Frank, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the transformation aspect from a technology, the technology side. Um, so Cato, you know, one of these pioneers in secure uh, access service edge, SASE, and, and this converge platform that that's got advanced security and, and networking features. And, and um, it feels significant that you've worked in both of those security and, and networking industries. And I just love to hear your reflection on, on uh, I know those companies you were at in the past would have, would have dabbled in both sides, but you know, and you're now truly delivering those features on a single platform. What, what does that say about the technology landscape that that's converged now? Well, yeah, I'll go. Um, so James, it's a great question, but I'm going to take it one step back. I'll just kind of, uh, I'll just kind of put it in a channel perspective if I could. So, you know, I don't care whether I was ever at VMware or I was ever at Checkpoint. Everybody was, you know, it, it, most partners were talking about digital transformation. Most partners were talking about a remote workforce. Most partners, if not all partners, were talking about cloud. So, so you know, the ability to be able to bring all these things together, to me, is really, really cool. Because, you know, I, I don't know, when we were at RSA, it seems like a long time ago, but it was only June and it's coming up again. I think there were 4,500 companies identified as security companies. Basically, when I heard uh, Kevin Lynch, uh, the CEO of Opta present just a few months ago, he came up with the figure that there was 3.5 million security jobs open. So when you so when you look at the complexity of 4,500 companies and not enough to be able to fill those jobs, and you know. Obviously, what we experienced in a COVID environment, hopefully we never will again, but it is really the new normal. I think people are comfortable working from their homes. I think companies are starting to get more comfortable with them working from their homes. And I think branches and remote sites are going to be a way of the future. So with Cato, it's a really interesting opportunity to be able to combine the ability to serve mobile users, remote locations, and cloud. In, in, in a cloud native standpoint, but also to be able to reduce latency and any possible disruption of service with the over 50 points of presence that exist within a network. So it's a really, really unique solution. I, I appreciate you saying cool kids on a block. I think it's I think it is really, really cool. And as you and I discussed when we had the, when we had the last interview, I mean, I had heard of them. But I figured, you know what? Sure, I heard of them. One of the guys, you know, was co-founder at Checkpoint. Yeah, basically they're an Israeli company and they're in this sassy space. But once I started to talk to Gato about coming over, I, you know, I was just amazed. I was absolutely amazed because I'm not going to mention names here. I talked to major, major players in this industry that are in this space. I said, when you lose, who do you lose to? And two of them came up with Cato. And they might be 20, 30, 40 times the size of Cato right now. I said, you know, it's not that I want to look into. So, I mean, what was, you know, what was important to me was technology, as you pointed out. I think it's a really unique technology value prop. I think it just it basically satisfies so many things for the customer in terms of single pane of management, consolidated management basically be able to cover the different categories of 
transformation that they're going through. But I think it's a great opportunity for farmers too, because it's really easy to explain. I mean, the first first thing I uh, saw when I came over to Cato was this 10 minute presentation by one of our marketing executives that just took us through a value prop like on the back of a napkin that if you're at dinner, you could explain. It's simple, it makes sense. And for the channel, simple, makes sense, profitable, the ability to be able to supply it as you know a, an agent or a referral, a resale type of integrator or a managed service, you know, expands the margin envelope and expands the partner value. Yeah, I like that, uh, Frank. Writing something on the back of a napkin is finally something that James and I can understand. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you can do that for everybody else out there. Then, uh, then no doubt uh, that's working out for you just fine. So, I was interested in the article uh, that James did uh, with you here. This, uh, well, just this last couple of days, talking mm-hmm. about your perspective on the telco service provider market. You know, Cato has been really uh, disruptive in that space while also becoming a partner to many telcos. Uh, how do you view that balance? You know, I, it, it's funny because I think I've been through this before. So, you know, it's as somebody said, you know, there's only there's only ever been five plots for a movie. And every, you know, every movie follows that five plots. Well, you know, the same argument can be said about, you know, data centers, clouds, Sometimes you just have to follow the market. And I think uh, you know, the telco uh, service providers are definitely following the market right now. So you know, I'm sure that they would love to be continuing to be able to supply that last mile. And you know, some of that market is still available. But I think you know, as the market transitions itself into a cloud, into a remote user, into a branch, you, you need different technologies to be able to do that. So I think the telcos, rather than fighting it, are starting to, you know, embrace it. You know, the other thing I would say is, you know, when you look at a, an Orange or you look at a, a British, a, you know, BT or any of, the, any of the large telecoms right now, or Comcast for that matter, you know, what are they? Are they a cable company? Are they a service provider? Are they a telco? Or are they a systems integrator? I would, I, you know, I would argue they're probably a blend of each one. And, and as a systems integrator or any of the other lines, they need to be able to do what's best for the, for their customers. And they need to be able to create customer value. And I think Cato enables them to do exactly that. Now, Frank, you had already mentioned those those three different partner um, routes to market, namely managed mm-hmm. services, um, resale. Um, and referral agent. Um, I'd love to hear any color you have on sort of your experiences working with those different groups, your mm-hmm. familiarity with them. And, you know, are there particular um, areas where um, you, you you sort of have things to 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 bring, certain areas where you have things to learn? Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, let me let me talk about the toughest one first. Uh, the technology solution brokers, okay? So that's the first thing I learned. 
that they're not not no longer you know this is this is the old DMR argument. Nobody wanted to be a DMR anymore, so they so they changed the name. Well, I guess master agent became unpopular to some people. So technology solution brokerages is the new word. So um, we um you know the channel is a very very small industry, and we talk all the time. Competitors talk, um, alliances talk, etc. And when I, when I when I started to hear about some of the uh, people that were using the uh, technology solution brokerage channel, what I was amazed at was the amount of channel web business that was coming in. I was also amazed at the deal size, et cetera. So even before I, even before I left Checkpoint, I was starting to get introduced to Avant, to Tolaris, to uh, Intellisys to Bridgepoint to a, a number a number of these companies, and I was really amazed at the uh, you know at the model and what they were able to accomplish with the model. Now, I think when you're in the business that we're in, when you're in the sassy business, that model covers some portion of the business. However, there's another part of the business that's uncovered. And my experience with resale partners, with global integrators, um, GSIs, uh, or or certainly regional integrators, or the or the fascinating thing that's happening right now, partners that are uh, that are taking on a worldwide footprint, Computer Center, WWT, CDW, Optiv, you know you can you, you can go on and on and on. So it's a it, it's a big world. I think there's going to be some bumping around in terms of customer set, but I don't think um, I don't think there. You know, I think both of the models are still extraordinarily viable. Certainly, the uh, TSB model is very very viable, and it's kind of the mainstay of you know the America's Cato channel right now. But you know, I think that'll evolve, and I think there's room for everybody. Now, the last model which is managed service providers, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of not a unique model. Because if you look at a lot of, if you look at the telco channel, many are providing MSP or MSSP type of services. If you look at the resale channel, many have migrated. Why have they migrated? It goes back to the conversation we were having a few minutes ago. Job shortages, complexity of technology, certainly complexity of security. So, you know, uh, again, I would love to tell you, you can put down clean silos, you can put down clean walls. It never happens like that in the industry. It's going to be dynamic and it's going to find their way. And then if you look at, you know, some of the other transitions that are happening in the market, in the, uh, market right now, cloud marketplaces, for example, you know, we, we, we were just at AWS reInvent. AWS reInvent, you know, had their share of each of these three routes market represented fully. So it's all coming together. We just, you know, my main goal is to figure out what the value proposition is to each of the routes to market. How do we optimize the program? How do we communicate it clearly, simplistic, to be able to make it resonate with them? How do we explain the buyer journey and the seller journey put it into their vernacular, into the way they go to market, and to be able to make everybody happy and make everybody money. I like it. So Frank, I love this question. 
when we uh, talk to somebody who's been that scared me, Craig. That scared me, Craig. But let's go <laughs> for it. Somebody who's been on the job for you know like two minutes. Um, kind of interested in your take uh, on the Cato Channel program and anything going forward that you might think uh, could use some changing, updating. Uh, mm -hmm. Any basic thoughts as you're just sort of getting started? Well, I think you know. I think if you look at the elements of the uh, Cato Channel program, I think they're good. I really do. I mean, I think they have the basics. They protect the partners' investment. They have good deal bridge. Um, they have very, very rich margins, especially for channel for channel led business. They have the willingness to be able to look at some of the MDR types of pro product solutions that are out there right now. Figure out a way to be able to get that channel involved in them. So I I, I think they check many many of the boxes to be able to mature the program, to be able to represent various routes to market, to be able to optimize for those routes to market, to be able to look at the to be able to look at the investments, to be able to look at the analytics, understand the great partner base that we have, where the gaps are geographically, industry, technology, how we recruit to be able to fill those gaps if we need to recruit and really move forward. I mean, that's that's part of it that I enjoy. Um, I, you know, I remember, you know, when when I went to HPE, and I know I'm dating myself, and I'll say it before you do, uh, I am dating myself. But, you know, basically, it was, it was a channel built for Unix. Um, when I, when I, an enterprise channel built for Unix, when I, when I went to, uh, when I went to VMware, it was a channel built for vSphere. It, it certainly wasn't a channel built for multi-cloud. So, you know, I, I, we, we've seen these transitions before. And I think the ability to be able to, it, it, I'd love to tell you it's only about optimizing the channel program, but I think, you know, I think that's part of it. To be able to educate your channel account managers to represent that program, to be able to give the partners the analytics tools, to be able to manage the program and to be able to create the field alignment to be able to sell together when the channel is creating the top of the funnel or when that channel is taking the deal the whole way. Yeah, those are good insights, Frank. Well, so did I, did I wow you with that, Craig? You said it was a great question. How was the answer? Oh, it was fantastic. It was more than I, I knew, could have I ever knew. dreamed and of. I'll, I'll come back next week. How much time do you have? All right. I'm sorry, James. <laughs> no, you're good. This has been great, Frank. Um, you know, on behalf of uh, of all the casties and 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 those that are uh, coming with us in this this new video format, you know, we're honored that uh, you're willing to submit yourself to us as a guinea pig. And you know, I think you pass with flying colors. Well, thanks. No, I you know I think Channel Futures you know does a great job because. The interesting thing that I've always found about Channel Futures is you do represent each of the three paths of market that I that I do. Um, you know, not everybody does that. So you know, you know, I look forward to getting any comments, getting any feedback. Um, you know, my email is frank.roush at catonetworks.com. Any partner that wants to contact me directly, or any partner that's contacted me in the last twenty years that I've been in a channel has gotten a response the next day and I'm not going to stop that. So I don't know. Uh, I may have been doing this for a while, but, but I'm still a lifetime learner. 
And I would love to learn from you guys, love to learn from the partners. That's good, Frank. You know, James complicated his email address. He's got his middle initial in the middle of it and just throws everybody off. We used to have this guy from the UK in the company who also had the name James Anderson. So they gave him a D and now it's like he's missing everything because the other James Anderson gets all of his emails. All right. Well, we'll, we'll try to fix that. <laughs> no, it's good. It. The guy the guy does my taxes for me. It's it's pretty great. At this oh, point. Well, you know, that's good. <laughs> good deal. All right, Frank, thanks for your time. And, and again, uh, appreciate you taking this maiden, maiden voyage with us. And, uh, you know, I figure it's because you're a good looking guy. You're kind of balancing it out uh, with us us on the uh, podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, guys. But, uh, you know, anything you need, anything you want from uh, Cato, we're more than happy to get back on. We're than happy to support your events. We're than happy to support the publications, et cetera. So thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. All right, James, great interview there with Frank. I, the biggest thing I got out of it was was your Big Frank nickname. I love the interview, but all I could think about the whole time we were talking to him was, uh, this is Big Frank. We're talking to Big Frank here. Yeah, you know, what can I say? We are experts in branding, and, uh, you know, that's going to pay dividends for, for Big Frank. Who knows? And we didn't even go to marketing school. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> All right, so James, we, we talked a little bit about uh, news stories and we wanted to get into those a little bit from the past week to try and show our loyal casties that we actually know something. Might be a bit of an effort, but uh, let's each take one. Uh, you said you've got one that you wanted to discuss a little bit uh, here on the podcast. Yeah, Craig, this one was fun. It was very interesting. Kind of, It's kind of a, a similar trend of partner acquisitions, but in a fresh new spin. So I wrote about the merger that created amplix um so that's a that i think that that story went live uh mid-december and that was three pretty well established technology advisors agencies um who had known each other for a long time they'd seen a lot of private equity come into the space a lot of folks coming into the space from um, the financial community and elsewhere and saying you know what? We want to make our own company. We want to make our own, our own, they didn't call a super agency, but I call them a super agency. And um, they got together and they found, eventually found a private equity partner and they have made their own, um, they, they merged together to make their own um, partner organization. So very interesting stuff. Yeah. Interesting and exciting. We've seen various Iterations, I want to say, uh, they're all a little different of sort of these agent uh, tie-ups here in the past year, but uh, it's definitely changing uh, the industry and the channel as we know it, especially on the, uh, well, definitely on the telco side. Yeah, totally. I think there's going to be a lot more to come from that. I mean, everybody tells me there's going to be more and more acquisitions, so I believe it. Uh, Craig, what do you got for me? Oh, uh, for my story, you know, I want to talk briefly about the results uh, of an interesting salary survey that we published. You know, everybody always wants to know what everybody else is making. I don't know, James, so you're probably too young to remember the old uh, parade magazine covers that you'd get in the Sunday newspapers. Yeah, you're looking around. You don't know what I'm talking about. You don't. But they would always put pictures of people on there and how much uh, they made Per year and you could look around and see oh you know there's an accountant in missouri who's making such and such and you know uh engineer in texas who's making this and so i sort of compare it to what what you're making well we had something similar like that our, our report uh, revealed that the median salary for a partner 
working in a business of fewer than 500 employees was 98,000, uh, but the median in a company of more than 500 people was 150,000. Uh, now keep in mind, this survey ranged from entry-level people all the way up to CEOs. Uh, it was interesting to see though, that roughly half uh, had gotten a raise last year. And of those who actually saw their salaries decrease, uh, yeah, you're excited about that, aren't you? Uh, no surprise that uh, 56% said that economic conditions were to blame. 25% said, however, that it was actually because they, they changed companies. So as we all know, uh, one of our most popular segments on Channel Futures is our monthly channel people on the move image gallery. I bring that up because, of course, I'm the one who, who puts that together. So what, what can I say? So, you know, there's always a lot of people moving around. Uh, a fair amount of people are choosing job satisfaction, it turns out, over the money. So that's uh, that was kind of interesting. And when we asked specifically how satisfied are you in your current role, we, we found a pretty happy group. Nearly 70% said they were either very or somewhat satisfied with their current positions. And only 14% uh, told us they were somewhat or very dissatisfied. So some uh, juicy little nuggets there for you. Yeah, that's very positive and, and interesting. The 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 topic of new people getting new jobs, getting um, uh, getting getting uh, raises, and and economic conditions having an impact. And you know, Craig, I gotta I got I gotta make a confession. You know, I spent the last two minutes of this podcast thinking of jokes I could make about celery um, because salary sounds like celery, and I was gonna be like. Oh, that's interesting. I thought I was the only person here who was paid in salary, but that was stupid. So I felt like it was just better just to disclose it and not tell it as an actual joke. I'm glad. I'm not sure if that was worse <laughs> by telling it that way or, or not, but uh, that was a good one. Yeah. It's like, it reminds me of the uh, pickle joke, right? I'm kind of a big deal for that one before. Anyway. Oh, like a dill yeah. pickle. You are a big deal. Yeah, celery pickles, you know, we, we got it all covered. Uh, speaking of big stories, uh, James, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a couple more pieces of content that I, I think our Cassies will be interested in. One is our collection of industry predictions for the new year. Uh, my prediction is that you're going to tell a lot more bad jokes on this podcast, and I think I nailed that one. Lock it in. Yeah, our edit team uh, actually broke uh, down these predictions by technology and business category. Uh, also look out for our... 20 most read stories of 2022 on Channel Futures, kind of our last look back at the year that was. Some great stuff to say so long to 22 and uh, welcome in 23. Of course, uh, we will have all the links to all of this stuff on the landing page of this podcast, so you can check it out. That landing page is getting pretty full uh, there, my friend. Oh yeah, let's. It's like it's like a, it's like the runway. Uh, it's like a Southwest runway where all the all the planes got canceled and they're all there and they're all, all the planes are there just packed <laughs> another great analogy very well done all right uh, if you'd like to check out our archive of copy with craig and james and now you can not only get it wherever you usually get your audio podcasts and i just uh yeah i just paid up uh, our subscription on that so i made sure we didn't uh, we didn't lose that james so there you go but also on vimeo and perhaps even on your favorite social media outlet of course it would be great if you could check us out on the flash. <laughs> news site 
translating for James, he said the flagship news site. That's channelfutures.com. Thank you for joining us, everyone. And a big added thanks if you joined us this time on video. Uh, we certainly hope to catch you next time. May your stomachs be full. May your tanks of unhappiness be empty. And may your feet be ever balanced. I wish you a pleasant day. Save some for next time, buddy. <laughs>